Blessed James Alberione once said, Our prayer is not genuine if our hands do not agree with it. Welcome to the fifth episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because the key to good mental health isn't just prayer and isn't just about getting help. It's about doing both and striving to live in such a way that our prayer and our hands are in agreement. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, an anonymous listener checked in with this one. Can you address something on the podcast about PTSD from emotional and sexual childhood abuse and learning to see God not as an abusive father? I do everything I should in the church because I'm terrified God is going to get mad at me. It's so bad that sometimes I have to pray the same prayer four or five times before I feel like I've said it correctly enough to please God. Let's take a brief pause and pray for this listener and everyone else who has experienced trauma that has made their relationship with God a struggle, that they may find peace and comfort and a way to rest in God's loving embrace. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. The relationships we have throughout our lives serve as guideposts or templates for the way our relationships are going to happen throughout the rest of our lives. This is a reality. Of course, we can battle to change the template that has been created within us, but we should at least note first that this is initially beyond our control until we recognize why it's happening. It's normal and natural for it to play out again and again. The relationship of our parents impacts our way of being in a relationship with a partner. The relationship between a priest and ourselves growing up impacts our relationships with priests moving forward. And sadly, a broken or abusive relationship with a father or a father figure can wreck our relationship with God, especially God the Father and all the imagery that goes along with this person. If this isn't your struggle, take a moment to imagine what it would be like to always feel like God was angry at you and that you had to be perfect in your prayer or life in general just to abate his anger, not to have a loving and beautiful relationship, but just to keep him a little less pissed off. It sounds like an incredible struggle and one that an individual shouldn't have to burden alone. So what do we do? How do we overcome the past relationships and what they have done to our template for similar relationships moving forward? The best way is to find other relationships in your life that model the way the bad relationship should have been and to carry those forward. But for a large number of us, even that can be impossible. Sometimes we look at our lives and see nothing but bad relationships. Then what? Then we get to work. We have to actively do the hard work of identifying what was wrong with the relationship in question. How did the other person act in the relationship that made it bad? Why was the way they acted just, uh, why was the way that they acted um, broken and wrong? Most often people who are terrible in relationships come from terrible relationships in their past or have experienced traumatic experiences themselves. So that's helpful to remember so we don't vilify them. They probably haven't put in the work you're now trying to put in to right the ship. But the work is basically identifying what was wrong, why it was wrong, and then identifying ways it could have been better, ways of relating to each other that would have made it better, and then working hard to rewire your brain to expect better from your future relationships, especially your relationship with God. Don't feel bad if it takes a while to get to this place. God knows why you feel the way you do about him, and he's willing to wait it out and meet you where you're at, even if it means waiting all the way until you see him face to face. 
Next up, at Jay Fount came by to ask, could you talk a little bit about work and identity? I know our value isn't just in what we do for work, but I find it hard to put into practice. I've been out of work for a long time with my old career probably close to me. And while I'm married, we don't have kids. So when people ask what I do, I just feel blank and useless. And I don't know how big Catholic ideas about vocation or human dignity even relate to hard little moments like this. This is such an important topic, so thanks so much for tossing it in the hat. Our Catholic faith correctly teaches us that our dignity and value is based on the fact we are made in the image and likeness of God, and thus it isn't dependent upon our worth in the eyes of the world, what we can do, how many hours we put in at the office, how much money we make, and so on. A person who is so depressed they can't even bring themselves to get out of bed in the morning, who feels worthless and apathetic, ends up having to go on disability, and wishes they could just go to sleep and never wake up, is 100% equal to someone who gets up every day, goes to work, gets dinner on the table on time, and has six kids all with straight A's. However, when those of us who are used to getting up and going to work every day lose that opportunity, be it due to our work laying people off uh, or our mental or physical health, we feel worthless. Is this because we've bought into the utilitarian mindset that we have to do something to have value? Maybe, a little bit, but at the same time, our Catholic faith also correctly teaches that our work does more than just make us money. The USCCB puts it this way, quote, Work is more than a way to make a living. It is a form of continuing participation in God's creation. So when we lose that opportunity to participate in God's creation, it hurts, precisely because that's one part of the meaning of life. How in the world are we supposed to balance these two truths? It isn't easy. But I think the idea lies in uh, the fact that work, as we traditionally think of it, isn't the only answer to participating in God's creation. Neither is having kids for that matter. God calls us all to participate in his creation, but calls us all in different ways. Some to work, some to raising kids, some to being able to have free time to visit the poor, help the poor, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, and some to participate by suffering and offering that suffering up. Literally something that seems worthless like suffering can be a way for us to participate in God's creation and find that value and dignity that we feel has been stripped away from us precisely because Christ gave meaning to suffering. The way in which God is calling us to participate can also change throughout our lives. And the trick might just be staying detached from whatever way he's currently calling us, just in case we lose that way and need to move on to a different path. I hope that gets at what you were asking. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm introducing you to St. John of God. John Duarte Sedade was born on March 8th, 1495. He also died on March 8th, which is pretty cool in my humble opinion, in Portugal. At the age of eight, John disappeared most likely through a kidnapping. His mother died from grief and his father became a Franciscan, which led John to becoming a homeless orphan. He went on to become a soldier, left behind his Christian faith, and it wasn't until he was 40 that he recognized how his sins weighed him down, and he made a decision to turn his life around. Moved by a sermon of St. John of Avila, he one day engaged in public beating of himself, begging mercy, and wildly repenting of his past life, and that ended up getting him committed to a mental hospital. He was visited in the hospital by St. John, who advised him to be more actively involved in tending to the needs of others rather than enduring personal hardships, and this gave him peace of heart. 
Shortly after he left the hospital, he began work among the poor. He established a house where he wisely tended to the needs of the sick, at first doing his own begging, but excited by the saint's great work and inspired by his devotion, many people began to back him up with money and provisions. John became ill after 10 years of service, but tried to disguise his ill health. He began to put the hospital's administrative work into order and appointed a leader for his helpers. His witness, his long life before his conversion, his homelessness, his being committed to a mental hospital, all of it gives us hope through our struggle that God has a plan for each of us. Let's close this out with a prayer. St. John of God, patron of the sick and compassionate brother to all who suffer or are troubled in any way, I turn to you with great confidence in my time of need. I ask you, John, to speak to Jesus on my behalf. He will listen to you because you tried to be like him in the compassion and love you had for people in need. I know only Jesus can really help me, but I also know that he can be influenced by someone close to him. I plead with you, Brother John, to present this special intention of mine to Jesus so that he may grant it according to his will, that all who listen to this podcast may find peace in the midst of darkness and suffering. Help me, John, to strengthen my faith, my hope, and love for Jesus and our Mother Mary, for whom you had such a special love. All glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous jumped in with this one. I'm struggling with my husband and his mental issues for almost 14 years now with lots of ups and downs, but the reality is that he doesn't want to admit that he has issues, so I'm heavily relying on prayer and my trust in God. We have two boys, 13 and 7, and this is the biggest struggle for me, how to keep them protected as much as possible. And at the end, when is the right time to leave a toxic marriage, and if that is the way for all of us at all? I am strong in faith, but as a human, sometimes, of course, I am weak and worried. Okay, so please, everyone join me in praying for this anonymous listener in this situation. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. I want to make clear right off the bat here, I'm not going to be giving any recommendations about if people should leave or stay in relationships. Our relationships are so incredibly complex and the details can't possibly be transmitted to the point of a random person in California knowing what the best move would be for you. I know you know that, listener, but I wanted to make sure it was clear for everyone else that's listening. That being said, a couple of thoughts. One, you have to keep your children safe. So whatever actions or lack of action should be taken to ensure their emotional and physical safety, that has to happen. Next, you have to help your husband understand that getting help isn't a weakness. It's a sign of strength. And while I'm not trying to diagnose him, I get the issue you're hinting at. And he needs to come to the understanding that things aren't going to get better unless he gets help. Second, perhaps the best way to help him is for us to present this as an entire family issue. No one likes to be the identified patient. And indeed, most times our family problems are a problem with the family unit, not one person in particular. And hopefully by presenting it in this way, uh, I really think it's time we all reached out to get some helpful guidance. Or I think we could use some help learning how to communicate better as a family. Or I really want our children to see a good relationship between the both of us before they grow up and leave the house. And I want to work on it with you. These may be ways to help encourage him to 
get help together. And then the therapist or doctor could evaluate further and perhaps encourage him to continue on with therapy or medication to keep the improvement moving forward. Don't think the Hail Holy Queen is the only prayer that will be coming your way, though. Me and the listeners will be thinking about you and praying for your family. Another lovely anonymous listener stopped by to ask, We have a women's Bible study. It's small and we're all pretty close. One of our members suffers from bipolar disorder and recently tried to commit suicide. How do we walk with her during this time when she re-enters the community? What an awesome question. Thanks for sending it in. I know we've been praying a lot this episode, but let's stop again and uh, pray for this woman and all those contemplating suicide. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Amen. The absolute best way to walk with someone when they re-enter a group after an experience like this is to make absolutely sure they know you aren't scared to support them, you aren't put off by the intensity of this situation, and that you aren't judgmental of them after the choice they made. After all, if she could choose to have not attempted suicide, she obviously would have. If she could choose not to experience symptoms of bipolar disorder, she obviously would. But it's something outside of her leading her into these experiences, and it can take a while to find the right medication to help. While I tell friends and family that I uh, work with those suffering from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and the like, people always react the same way by saying, wow, I just don't know how I would act around someone like that. And here, I'm going to give you the answer. There's nothing you learn in grad school for therapy that teaches you how to do this. There's nothing special about being a therapist that helps me be able to sit with them. No, it's literally just about being a human being and genuinely caring about them, which you do. So don't think you have to do something magical. Just be your beautiful, supportive self. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Last but not least, our final question for the day, quote, I've just passed the six-month line since my dad died, and all this bereavement stuff is kicking the hell out of me. It's like I was full of adrenaline for six months, and now it's all kicking off. I don't know what to do with this grief without the adrenaline now, though. Perhaps grief and grieving could be covered in a future episode. Boy, oh boy. For those who know me and my experiences, they know grief and bereavement could be covered in every future episode. Grief and bereavement is who I am. It's my life, my faith, and everything about me is so wrapped up in bereavement after the death of our son in 2016, it's impossible to separate who I am from those feelings. The adrenaline, to borrow your term, in the initial phase of bereavement is quite a blessing. It allows us to stay busy doing other things, and let's face it, distraction is quite possibly the most effective form of coping with grief until it isn't. Eventually, the meals stop, friends and family go back to their normal life, and you're expected to go on and get back to normal like everyone else. But you can't. You still feel dead inside, barely able to move, ready to break down at the mere mention of anything even remotely related to the one you've lost. And nothing helps. No, time doesn't heal. The joy doesn't return, not in the same way at least, and you have to find a way to live in this new reality, one that vacillates between feeling pretty normal and feeling like you're walking with cement shoes on all the time. And even when you feel happy, you end up being covered in guilt because in some weird way you think you need to feel terrible to honor your loved one's life. So what in the world do you do? 
The thing that has helped me the most is to find people who I can be perfectly open and honest with, people I can share my deepest and darkest thoughts with without them running away. Finding a community of grieving parents was so helpful for me, and each time I see another person joining our terrible club, it warms my heart in a weird way because I can share with another person and they can share with me. We can both tell each other how much we wish we could die to be with our baby, and neither of us will think the other person is weird. Neither of us will be scared by the intensity of our thoughts. I've lost a parent as well, and I know this pain is different and yet still very intense. Perhaps you can connect with others who've had similar experiences. Perhaps you can find a prayer or spirituality that helps you delve into the bereavement and face it head on. The Seven Sorrows Rosary and the Stations of the Cross was immensely helpful for me. And perhaps you will find this new mode of operating is exactly what God is calling you to. You may meet someone else in grief who needs your connection to carry on. Your grief offered up may be saving the soul of your father or someone you'll never even meet this side of heaven. Who knows? It doesn't make it any easier, but hopefully it gives you a tiny little light. I'll be praying for you and your dad. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna.